As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Guys, we have something totally different today. It's super exciting, and I think you guys are going to like it. We were really nervous to do this because this is something we haven't done before. In this episode, we interviewed a woman named Toby Dore. She came to my house. She sat down and talked to us. And I want to give you a brief summary of her story before we get started, because I want you to know what a wild ride you're about to be on. It is truly fascinating. Yeah. Several years ago, Toby founded the Safe Harbor Prison Dog Program, where she brought in dogs who were about to be put down in to be, you know, trained and loved by inmates at the Lansing Correctional Facility. But while she was there, she fell in love with an inmate. She made international headlines when she helped him escape in a dog crate. Toby and John Maynard were on the run for 12 days before they were caught thanks to a high-speed chase. Her story is absolutely incredible. And to anyone who hears that and thinks, how could anyone do that? That seems crazy. I really think once you hear her, I, you're going to kind of get it or you're going to at least understand it a little more. I absolutely think so, because I went into it kind of thinking like that. And let me just tell you that she was amazing to interview. Mm -hmm. She was so open about her story and it gives you such a view to how she got where she got and how she did what she did. And just give it a listen. I think you guys are going to love it. Yeah. Enjoy. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this week's episode, we're doing something totally different. Yes. Woohoo. Who's excited? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> but we have in my house right now, a friend of mine, Toby Dore. Toby, do you want to say hi? Hi. You might know me better as the dog lady of Lansing Prison. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Toby. We're so yes, excited to have thanks. you. I'm excited to be here, too. You guys, if you don't know Toby's story, it is absolutely fascinating. It's a wild ride. Yeah, I suggest I'm... you buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Toby, we're so excited to have you here. And... Um, this will be unlike any interview ever. By the way, she's been interviewed by Anderson Cooper. So, yes. Which is basically the same as us. <laughs> well, the glasses aren't the same. I'm not quite as good looking as Anderson Cooper. <laughs> we are very close. <laughs> so this will just be, I mean, it'll be like our regular stuff. It'll be casual. We want to hear your story and we'll interrupt you with questions. And, and be, I'm sure tangents and... <laughs> If we didn't do tangents, people would die people, of shock. Yes, there would be riots in the streets. 
So, Toby, tell us about yourself. My name's Toby. I was born and lived in Kansas City, been here my whole life, except for a few months that I was gone. Currently, I live in Liberty, Missouri, and I know Kristen because we were in a writing group together. Mm -hmm. So... I was thinking about this the other day. I was in the writing group because I was writing a novel. You were in it because you were writing a memoir. Yes. And I remember for the writing group, our deal was like, you send in a chapter, we all read it, and then we get together and discuss. And I remember being like, oh, okay, so this lady's writing a memoir. All right. I opened up your first chapter, and it was about... A high-speed car chase <laughs> yes. where helicopters were overhead and police were chasing you. And I was like, this lady's full of crap. <laughs> I kept being like, okay, this lady's obviously writing a novel and she doesn't know what a memoir is. But then I Googled you uh-huh. and I realized that, no, in fact, you've been involved in exactly that. Yes. So do you want to tell a little bit about the dog program? Sure. Or? Okay. So actually... Just to follow up on that, in 2006, at the end of the year, the API puts out a poll of their most talked about subjects for the year. Uh Uh-huh. And I was number six. Wow. I was above George Bush, who was the president at the time. Whoa. So that was 2006. So you would find a lot of hits out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I did. I did. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2004, this will be a short story, a a summarize, but I was diagnosed with cancer. And it made me realize that I hadn't really done anything in my life to make a difference. And so I was just wasting space here on this planet. So that was a wake-up call for me, and I decided I needed to do something that mattered. Mm -hmm. So I decided to start a dog rescue program. I've always been really involved with rescue groups and fostering dogs and things like that. And a week after I started the rescue group, someone from the prison came and talked to me and asked if I'd be interested in starting a prison dog program at Lansing Correctional Facility because their inmates really wanted one in there and they wanted to get something in there before, you know, they got yeah, control. Sure. So I said, of course, I'll start a prison dog program. I had no idea what went into a prison dog program, but that yeah, was how, a- how could you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Monday. And on Wednesday, I went and gave a presentation to the warden and his staff. And on Friday, they said, bring in some dogs. Oh, my God. So I was running around town trying to find some stray dogs that I could take into the prison. Or, you know, if somebody just left it in their backyard. (laughs) Yeah, just hop the fence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the prison dog program just took off. And in 18 months that I ran the program, I saved a 1,000 dogs. Wow. So all the dogs I took were in shelters that were going to be put to sleep. I didn't take just the cute little dogs that everybody wanted. I took the ones that nobody else wanted. Yeah. And took them into the prison. And this strange thing happened, but people from all over the Midwest, I mean, I had people drive from Chicago and Indiana to adopt dogs from us Mm -hmm. because they wanted to be part of something that was making a difference, too. Absolutely. So the program was just awesome. Would inmates train the dogs? Like, how did Mm -hmm. how did that part work? So the dogs actually lived with the inmates. And some prison dog programs, they have like a separate kennel building where the dogs live. I didn't want to do that because we were adopting these dogs into homes, you know, to live as part of a family. Yeah. So I wanted the dogs to live with the men as a family dog. And... You know, it is part of human nature. We're social creatures. I was going to say, that is helpful both to the inmate and to the dog. Yes, absolutely. 
Because can you imagine going 10 years without ever hugging anyone? No. 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 And that's no. that happens in prison yeah. all the time because you don't touch other inmates. And in a lot of cases, you can't really, people don't have visits. Right. Or they can't. Or contact visits. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So these dogs change the atmosphere of the prison almost overnight. Oh, yeah. Because they were living in the housing units with these dog handlers, which meant that anyone out in the yard could walk up and pet a dog if they wanted to. So the dogs really belonged to the whole prison. Yeah. And it made a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And it was an awesome thing. But at that particular time in my life, I was facing some personal crisis. My dad was dying of cancer, and I was having a really hard time dealing with that. I was an empty nester, and I realized that everything my husband and I had in common was related to our children. Uh And Mm -hmm. now that they were gone... What do you have now? I I didn't even know who I was married to, really. And so I was struggling with that. I had been laid off from my corporate job at Sprint, Mm -hmm. so that was a big adjustment. And I just was kind of floundering. But I found that when I was inside that prison, it was the most beautiful place in the world to be in there with those Mm. dogs and those men because the dogs loved me. Oh, yeah. The Mm -hmm. inmates loved me. Absolutely. And, you know, almost to the point of worshiping me, you know, it was just like such an incredible high to be. I was going to say it'd be a very gratifying experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was. So. I found myself making more and more excuses and reasons why I needed to go into the prison. Well, let's just do another dog training. Because it was in there that I didn't feel so neglected and so ignored and so insignificant. You know, it was inside the prison where I felt like I had something worth living for. So, you know, and things started to change a little bit. And one of my dog handlers started escorting me around the prison because I'd had an altercation with an inmate. And Mm -hmm. in order to be safe, I always had myself be with another inmate dog handler that would protect me. Right, right, right. And so we became really close and I started falling in love with him. And he asked me one day if he wasn't in prison, would I be with him? And I said, I might. Mm -hmm. And then he was off and running with ideas for how he was going to get out of prison. And a few weeks later, when he started sharing his ideas with me, I'd say, that will never work. That's a dumb idea. Oh, that one won't work because of this. And then he said, well, I could just get in your van when you come in to do a dog adoption and just ride out of the prison with you. And I said, well, that would probably work. Right. Yeah. And it did. And it did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty crazy time. Yeah. One question I'd like to jump Uh in with. Could you talk about him Mm -hmm. and who he was? Well, I was going to say, I even have his record pulled up. I didn't Uh know if you, Mm -hmm. I I think our listeners will find it very interesting if if you're okay. Sure. So why don't you talk about him and then I can talk about what got him into prison. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So John Maynard was about six foot four. And I'm five foot two. So, yeah. you know, that was super cool. This big, tall guy. Well, and I'm sure because the reason you guys became so interactive, he was protecting you. Yes. So yes. he was your protector. That's right. Yeah. He was. Yes. He was. And everybody knew that nobody in the prison would mess with John Maynard. He yeah. kind of was, you know, at the top of the hierarchy there. Yeah. And that was kind of comforting and kind of... Um, inspiring, I guess, to know Mm -hmm. that you were walking around with the person who was at the top of the food chain. And, you know, John Maynard was smart. A lot of the inmates, when I would talk to them, you know, you could tell that they hadn't had much education or that they just weren't that intelligent. But John Maynard was really sharp. And so I found myself having these really in-depth conversations with him. And it was important to me 
to be able to talk to someone. And, you know, my husband and I, we had a relationship where we didn't really talk about anything. He was very quiet. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I just love discussing things with mm-hmm. someone who could discuss them with me intelligently. Yeah. And so uh, we spent quite a lot of time together and talked about so many different things. And one time I came to the prison and it was after my dad had had emergency surgery for his cancer. And it was a really stressful night. And when I went into the prison, John Maynard said to me, Toby, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, well, I just came from the hospital. My dad was in surgery all night, emergency surgery. And they had to give him a colostomy bag. And, you know, and I said, and he's going to die. I mean, I just realized there's no way around it that, you know, he's going to die from this cancer. And I remember feeling so touched that someone noticed I was hurting. Absolutely. Because nobody else even noticed, Mm -hmm. you know, and the night before when we got the call that my dad was being rushed into emergency surgery, my husband said, well, you go on up to the hospital and, uh, I'm just going to stay here and go back to sleep because there's no sense in both of us not getting sleep. Uh-huh. Which, so just a completely yes, opposite response. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And until I talked to John Maynard the next day and he said, well, it's a good thing your husband was there with you. And I said, oh, he wasn't there. You know, he stayed home because there was no sense in both of us not getting any sleep. And he said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. And then I thought... Mm-hmm. Well, that is kind of stupid, isn't it? (laughs) You know, and once the light goes on in your head, you can't turn it back off. I mean, even when I had my own cancer surgery and I woke up from surgery and I was in the hospital room and it was like 830 at night and Mm -hmm. my husband said, well, I'm going to go home now because, you know, I know you aren't going to get any sleep tonight, but there's no sense in me not getting any sleep either. So I'll see you in the morning. And that was just kind of the norm for my life. Yeah. So I didn't think anything of it. But well, that's exactly it. You get so used to. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. What is the norm? Mm -hmm. Until until you see something different. Uh huh. You're like, oh, my I didn't even realize what I was growing up with. Yeah. Yeah. This is so personal to my (laughs) life. I'm smiling at Brandy. We don't have to say anything more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But Brandy gets what you're saying. (laughs) So, you know, once this light goes on in your head, you just can't turn it off. And so I can't ever unknow that that wasn't a normal procedure, a normal way to act. And so it just kind of hangs around in there and starts eating away at you. So, yeah, it was kind of an eye-opening moment. Why do you think John kind of maybe ran the prison is the wrong way to put it. But why do you think he was so far His up status the, was yeah. so elevated. Yeah. Well, I think he could take care of himself. Yeah. You know, I think when he was a kid, he did karate classes mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, John just didn't take anything from anybody. Well, he didn't play any games. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, just his size alone would mm-hmm. probably make him intimidating. And there are some people who just have an intimidation factor mm-hmm. about them. Well, and, so. and, you know, John was really skinny. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was a big guy, but yeah. he was tall. But when he looked at you, you knew. Yeah. He, he wasn't playing any games. So yeah. I think he probably had to earn that yeah. respect in the prison. Did you know what John was in prison for? I did. You did? I did. So John was in prison for felony murder, uh-huh. which he and a buddy of his were out one night. They needed a ride somewhere. So they decided they were going to steal a car. Uh-huh. And they went to this car that was in a parking lot. And John opened the driver's door and started to get in the car. And his buddy went around to the other side of the car and opened the passenger door and was going to get in. And there was a man sleeping in that seat. And I don't know if 
the guy was startled mm-hmm. when the door opened and he yeah. said something or right. if he pushed out or if he yeah. maybe he didn't do anything. Yeah. But John Maynard's buddy had a gun with him and he shot the guy. Yeah. And he died and he pulled him out of the car and they left him in the parking lot. and He was dead. So felony murder is a law that really, I think, originated like in the 12th century England. And it means that if someone dies during the commission of a felony, Everyone involved with the felony Correct. is guilty of murder. Mm-hmm. So know? even though he didn't pull the yes. trigger, he was in he was, for murder. He was in well, for murder. in fact, they were tried together. They didn't even mm-hmm. get separate trials, even though one was physically involved in the commission yeah. of the murder and one was not. They were tried as one person, essentially. Mm-hmm. And John Maynard was 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was arrogant, like a 17-year-old, and he believed that he didn't have a gun, he didn't shoot anybody, there was no way they were going to find him guilty of murder. Right. So he wouldn't talk to his attorney and try to defend himself Mm -hmm. or anything because he knew he didn't need it. And he wasn't going to rat on somebody. Right, exactly. And that isn't how it turned out at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so at 17 years of age, he got sentenced to life in prison for felony murder. How old was he when you met him? He was 28. 28. Okay. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious. And part of it is because I know the story, Uh but there's a weird part of me that is so fascinated by how you guys actually got him out of prison. Yeah, that was kind of a crazy story. Well, well, because if you know how you got him out of prison, just the fact that he is 6'4", is a huge factor. It is a huge factor. (laughs) And it just so happened that I had a wire dog crate in the prison. Uh Now, it was a big wire dog crate because I'd had a pregnant dog in there. It was probably at least as big as the top of this desk. Okay. Which is about what? Those three feet by... Yeah. Four feet. Yeah. Feet by four feet. Yeah. yeah. It might have been a little smaller than this, but you know, it was a pretty good size wire crate. And having a wire dog crate inside of a prison is really not a good idea because, you know, a plastic dog crate, that's one thing. But this yeah. wire dog crate and the unit team for the housing unit asked me to get that crate out of the prison because they thought it was a risk that someone could take it, take apart, it apart and use it for a shank. Yeah, absolutely. So that just played right into John's hands. So John was there when they asked, and John said, yeah. He said, you know what? How about if I bring that dog crate down when she does a dog adoption so she can just put it right in her van mm-hmm. instead of having to carry it out through the prison? Because, you know, it's big. It's hard yeah. to carry. And the unit team said that'd be fine. So then John came up with this idea that he was going to hide in this dog crate. And, of course, you couldn't just be in the dog crate because people would it's see It's a wire dog yeah. crate, exactly. Yeah. So they had these things called pack-out boxes. Mm-hmm. And when you moved from one place in the prison to another, you were allowed a pack-out box. And mm-hmm. you had to fit all your belongings in this pack-out box. I don't know the dimensions of it. I wish I did. But I think it was something like 18 by 36 yeah, yeah, yeah. inches. So John told me, I'm going to fit in one of those boxes and we're going to put it inside the crate. I said, there's no way you're going to fit in one of those boxes. And so he showed me a box one day and it like came to his knees. Yeah. It was not that big. Yeah. And he was going to tell me how he got in there, but he never did. And I don't know. But he said he lost 25 pounds. He was already pretty lanky. And he put one of his feet up around his head and one foot behind, one leg behind him somehow and got in that box. I can't imagine how he fit in there. Yeah. 
but it was quite a feat to be so able to do that. So if he lost 25 pounds, I mean, the planning for this must have been it pretty was, extensive. It was about three weeks. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It was a really a short period of time. I was going to say, that's a lot shorter for than... For how much of a, an advantage it really was. However, if you're motivated to get out of prison, yeah, you probably I, eat nothing in three yes. weeks and lose I'm, yes. I'm thinking about pounds. how long it would take me to lose <laughs> 25 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yes, if this, is your, yeah. if this is your escape plan. That's yes. right. Your you can pretty much do anything. Yes, exactly. You'd give up carbs real quick. Real quick. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So when I pulled up to the prison that day, I knew that he was supposed to be in that dog crate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were going to put the dog crate on this farm wagon I had in there because I had 50 pound bags of dog food we'd wheel around. So Absolutely. I had left a farm wagon there. So the dog crate was going to be on the farm wagon because if somebody lifted it and carried it, they would have known something was going on. So I pulled in. And I was supposed to be there at 1030 so that we missed a count. So they finished a count at 10 yeah, o'clock yeah, mm-hmm. and they didn't do another one till three o'clock or three right. thirty that afternoon, which gave us a lot of time to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I pulled in at 1030 and it was a freezing cold morning, which played right into the plan because yeah. nobody wanted to nobody be outside. Wants to, no, exactly. Yeah. And it was a gray day. So when you looked out at the horizon, you couldn't tell where the ground ended and the sky began. It was all just a gray white color and it was spitting snow. And nobody wanted to be outside. So I got there, and the dog handlers were lined up for the adoption. So when you drive into the prison, I drive through gate one, Uh and it opens. And then I'm in between gate one and two, and that's a huge parking lot where diesel trucks can turn around to bring, you know, supplies supplies and things in. And so I drive across the parking lot, and I get to gate two, and they open gate two. Now, gate two and gate three are really close together, about the length of this room in between them, and about this wide. So you drive through gate two, and you're in this area, and you have about three or four feet in front of your front bumper and three or four feet behind your back bumper is gate three. And I parked in there, and they shut gate two. You can only have one gate open at a time. Right. So you can't open gate three till gate two's closed. So I was parked in between those two gates, and I knew John was supposed to be there at 1030, but he wasn't there. And so my dog handlers were lined up behind gate three, and they were freezing cold. And they were stomping their feet, and they were like, come on, Toby, open the gate, open the gate. We need to get back to our cell. It's cold out here. And I just kept waiting because I needed that dog crate to be there when I was loading dogs. Because if it came later, then the confusion of loading the dogs, you know, wasn't there to kind of camouflage what was happening. Yeah. And so then I look up and that dog crate's coming around the corner or that farm wagon with the Uh dog crate on it. And I gasped. I mean, I went, Uh because when I looked up, those wheels were flat Uh on that dog crate. I mean, on the farm wagon. Yeah, it was clear that there there, was weight. There was weight in there. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to see this. And nobody did. So then I told them to open the gate. And I opened the back of the van. And the handlers were all putting their dogs in the back of the van. And I'd open the side door. Mm -hmm. And the inmates who brought the dog crate down just took the wagon to the side door and slid that dog crate right off the wagon right into the van. And we shut the door. Maybe you can't answer this, but were they in on it too? Well, I don't know. Okay. Because I wasn't involved. Involved in that side of it. John told me they weren't, but... Mm -hmm. But yeah, how could you not... Yeah. yeah. How could you not notice the weight that (laughs) that carries? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember... Like how you felt that day? Like, was your heart pounding? Were you like, there's no way we're going to get away with yes. this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I thought, and you know, 
there was a big part of me that was hoping that he just wouldn't come. And I would just take the dogs and go do a dog adoption. Because up until that moment, I just kind of felt like this was a fantasy game. Oh, yeah. Or like a hypothetical, like, wouldn't it be amazing? Like, this wasn't really going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people just don't escape from prison. Yeah, exactly. But but it happened, you know? And and so I got in the car, I loaded the dogs up, and I shut the doors, and I got in the car, and I started to pull the van out, and I said, John, are you in here? And he didn't answer. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, thank God. Yeah. You know, this didn't work. I'm just going to go do a dog adoption. Yes. And so I drove through gate two and I drove through gate one and I drove up the gravel road and around the side of the prison. And when I got on the city street, Mm -hmm. an arm burst out of the box and John started laughing. And I thought... Oh, holy I'm picturing crap. that scene in Ace Ventura when he's hiding in the box inside the storage <laughs> yes, room and yes. like it just like collapses. Well, because he's such a big guy. I mean, yeah. that had to be, I mean, it had to be kind of ridiculous I, looking. Yes. I yeah. And he told me later that he was hyperventilating the whole time because sure. he couldn't breathe, breathe yeah, in there. Sure. He was so twisted up in there that he couldn't really breathe. And Not he was, to mention the panic that he, yes. like, he would have to be in, like thinking, mm-hmm. oh, am I pulling this off? Am I getting yes. hot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then he, you know, he busted out of the box and I pulled the van over and I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he said, drive, Toby, drive. Yeah, yeah. Stop, keep yeah. driving. <laughs> So, you know, the here's a really funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, this was later after I got caught and I was in the Leavenworth County Jail. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the Leavenworth County Jail or any jail and someone comes in that's new, all these yeah. women, you know, they run up and go, what are you here for? What'd you do? You yeah. know, mm-hmm. because in prison, they don't do that, by the way. Right. But in jail, in jail they do. Okay. There's a different decorum in prison uh-huh. than there is in jail. And anyway, these ladies ran up and asked this new girl, what are, what are you here? What did you, what are you picked up for? What are you, why are you here? And she said, well, I'm here because of that woman who broke that guy out of prison. And everybody started laughing because they knew that was me. Yeah. You know? and they looked over at me and they said to her, you know, that's her, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out she and her boyfriend lived in the trailer park right behind the prison. Uh-huh. And her boyfriend had a warrant out and they didn't know there'd been a prison escape and they were driving down the road in front of the prison (gasps) and they saw the roadblocks. And so they stopped their car and he got out of the driver's seat and got in the trunk and she closed the trunk Uh and got in the driver's seat and drove off because they didn't want him to get caught with his warrant. Well, it's a roadblock and they're looking for an escaped yeah. prisoner. Yeah, oh somebody they noticed. Yeah, yeah, they're going to find So they followed them home to the trailer park and they waited till they got inside and then they busted down the door and came in because they were just sure it was John and I. Oh, oh right. Gosh. And of they course. had drugs in their trailer. Oh, so, so all your fault. All my fault. <laughs> I thought that was the funniest thing that ever. That is funny. <laughs> Those officers had to be so disappointed yeah. though. Yeah, it wasn't you. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. It was just such a crazy story. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. You couldn't write that in a novel. And no, no, believe kidding. it. No, you know? no, people would be kidding. like, yeah, be like that would uh-huh. never happen. Yeah. yeah. So that was pretty crazy. So then we took the van and I, I had bought a truck. And my mm-hmm. logic was, you know, if this doesn't work, I'll just give the truck to my son. He yeah. wants a new truck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't yeah. a new truck, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, it was yeah. an old truck. So we ha- I had the truck parked in the storage unit and we got in the truck and John got out of the van and got in the truck and pulled the truck out and I backed the van in 
and we left. Yeah. Well, and I dropped the dogs off at my house. I put them in the barn because uh-huh. I didn't yeah. want something to happen. Of to course, them. of course, yeah. This is me being like too obsessed with Dateline and all the true crime stuff. But did you pay cash for the truck? I did. All right, good job. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but here was the thing I you didn't do stupid. right. <laughs> okay. I thought, you know, you can't drive a vehicle without a legal license. Yeah. Because uh-huh. we'll get pulled over. Right. And so I had him send the title to the truck to the cabin we were staying at oh, in Tennessee. Okay. But I used a fake name. Right. Sure. But they figured it out yeah. yes. and found it anyway. <laughs> so that's how we got caught. Yeah. yeah. It was because I was so determined to do the legal thing and have a real title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. I think that's kind of, I think, like, the almost amusing thing is, like, before this, you've never committed a crime before. You've never well, gotten a speeding ticket, I'd right? I've never yeah. even been pulled over. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. just it. That's what happens mm-hmm. when a non-criminal tries to pull off a crime. Yes, like, you're that's like, right. I'm going to follow the law. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Don't want to break any Don't rules. Don't break any more laws. <laughs> yeah. Well, it took them two weeks to figure out that that was me. But, you right. know, they, yeah. they figured it out. It gave them, so, it gave them a trail. Yeah. What did you do with the van? Because obviously they I would just be left it in the, the storage van. unit. Okay. We just left okay. it in the storage unit. And then, like... Two days later, the storage unit guy called the FBI or uh-huh. whoever and said, I think I know where that van is yeah. because I think she rented a space from me. Uh-huh. And so they came and investigated yeah. and yeah. found yeah. the van. And Because by that point, your picture was yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And so, you know, John told me, Toby, they're not going to think you were involved. They're just going to think that I took you, mm-hmm. you know, and I took advantage of you and, and off we go. Uh-huh. He said, nobody's ever going to hold you responsible. Nobody's going to believe you were involved. Mm-hmm. And so on Wednesday, which was. Did you believe that? I believed it. Yeah. I, I think I would absolutely believe that. I, I mean, I didn't know anything about prison or laws yeah. or crimes, but yeah. he did. So I believed him. Yeah. And on Wednesday, we were driving through a McDonald's for lunch because uh-huh. we didn't go in because we didn't want to be of seen. Course. Right. And we drove through McDonald's and I had my laptop with me and I flipped open the laptop and my homepage was KansasCity.com. Uh-huh. And the headline was Dog Lady Implicated in Escape. Yeah. And I just, I had a panic attack. And I said, look at this. Look at this. They know I was involved. You promised me they wouldn't know. They know. Look at this. I'm going to get in trouble. And he slammed that computer down and said, you are not supposed to look at the Internet or uh-huh. the news, you yeah. know, and give me that computer. And so did either of you alter your appearance in any way? Because he has red hair. He like has he, red hair. Yeah. He wore a wig. So here's oh, okay. the thing. We had wigs mm-hmm. and I had bought him a wig, a man's haircut wig that was kind of graying, uh-huh. you know, just a man's haircut. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm not wearing that wig. I'm not an old man. I said, <laughs> what? Gosh, oh. you don't want to. He's putting his foot down. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so we had to go to another wig store uh-huh. and he went in and bought a wig and he bought this long wig oh that comes past gosh. his elbows, this long straight hair. And I said, John, nobody wears hair like that anymore. Yeah. You know, that's how he wore his hair before he got arrested. Oh. I said, people are just going to be looking at you because yeah, you stick out. That's stick not out how you wear exactly. hair. But he insisted on wearing that long hair uh-huh. wig. What color was it? Blonde. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad choice. Yeah. So what about you? Did you dye your hair? Did you cut it? What did you do? I wore a wig, too. Okay. So it was about past my shoulders, a dark okay. brunette wig. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Kristen teases me. <laughs> Because I tell, oh, this I is a good thing to yes, bring up. I have, we covered a case mm-hmm. where someone, yeah, you know, like dyed their hair black or something like that, and like I was like, mm, 
yeah. I don't think I do that because when you're done, that's really hard to undo. I'm a hairstylist, yes. so I'm like, I know what you'd have to go through to undo that. Uh-huh. It's like, really, you're a fugitive and you're yeah. not going to dye your hair? And I'm like, I can't do it. So wig, that's the uh-huh. thing. Yeah. So in, you, in this scenario, you're John Maynard, I'm Toby. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm the one who's like, let's just blend in. <laughs> yeah, that wig looks so stupid. Yeah. I mean, it just looks so stupid. So, so you already had a place in mind that you were going mm-hmm. to? Okay. Yeah. So How did you choose up. it? Yeah. John picked it. Okay. He had, he'd gotten hold of some magazine and he'd picked it. And of course, I had smuggled a cell phone into the prison uh-huh. for him. Yeah. And he called and made a reservation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he told me where it was and I sent him a money order. Yeah. yeah. Were you excited? I mean, I, I think the other thing that we haven't really touched on is like, you were in love. You were in love. I was. Yeah. I was madly in love with him. Yeah. I mean, I would have done anything for him. And I did. Yeah, you yeah, did. You know? did. I did. Yeah. So, yeah, I was excited to be able to spend time with him. Yeah. You know, like real people and not yeah. be inside of a prison and being watched. Yeah. And- the other thing that I think, if you Google this case, if you read about it, something that I think that gets said a lot is that he manipulated you mm-hmm. and he whatever. But from his point of view, what I have read is that he did not, he felt that he was in love with yes. you too. Yes, he I believe really he was. believes that he was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there have been people who've tried to get me to admit that, nah, he was just using you. Well, here's the thing. I was capable of making a decision and I did make a decision. Yeah. I chose to go. Yeah. I could have not chosen to go. And so it's really important to me And one of the things that I talk about in this program that I've created for women Mm -hmm. in prison is that you cannot be a victim. You have to own your actions. And I knew subconsciously without ever really thinking through that if I ever once said I was manipulated, that I would be stuck in that hole forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just be a victim and I was not going to be a victim. Yeah. So how long were you guys on the run? And what did you do when you were on the run? Well, we were on the run for 12 days. Mm -hmm. So when we first planned this, John said, we're just going to hide out in the cabin, you know, have a low profile. So I bought groceries and things that we took with us. And I thought we were going to just hang out in the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the second day he said, let's get in the car. Let's go somewhere. I want to go to a movie. I want to go shopping. Uh, You know, he's been been in prison. prison. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he wanted to go out and experience Uh, things. So we, every day we would go somewhere different. We went to Nashville. We went to a music store. John is a big bass player. He Uh loves, he's really into music. Mm -hmm. And in the prison, they had instruments that you could check out and play in the music room. And Mm -hmm. And he was really big into music. And there was some music store in downtown Nashville that everybody knows about. I don't know what it is. Gruens or Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, it was the place to go if you were a musician. Uh He wanted to go there and go in there and play some of their guitars, you know, take them off the wall and play them. So we did that for a day. And he just like, I can't believe I touched this guitar. You know how much that guitar is worth, you know? Right, right, right. So it was things like that. And then one day... We went to an IMAX movie because before he went to prison, they didn't have IMAX mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. And he'd seen a National Geographic documentary on IMAX movies and the making of an IMAX movie. And he uh-huh. thought that was so fascinating. So he wanted to go see an IMAX movie. Yeah. So we would do things like that. Wow. Well, he wanted to see the shark movie. And when we got there. Sharknado? We, no. No, no, no. It's no. like a shark. It's, it's like a documentary. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 And we went. We were in a different time zone. Uh We crossed the timeline. I mean, just barely. So when we got there, it was already over. So we saw something lion movie, Serengeti. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering about the evolution of the news coverage, because if I'm remembering correctly, it seemed like 
initially, they did think that maybe you had been taken on this, but it didn't take them too long to figure out. No, I think it was within 24 hours that they figured out I was involved. Mm -hmm. I don't think it took them too long, but they did initially think I'd been kidnapped. Mm -hmm. You were still married at this time this happened, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But in a difficult marriage, yes. yeah, yeah, that you had. Well, you know, the funny thing is, 10 years before the escape, I had told my husband, you know, I wasn't happy. I wanted to get a divorce. And uh-huh. he said, you can't get a divorce. He said, I work. I don't hit you. You know, ju- no judge is going to let you get a divorce. Mm-hmm. And he said, and most of all, your family won't let you divorce me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, he's right. Yeah. And I won't stand up to him. Mm-hmm. So the only sane thought I had during the escape was, well, they're going to let me get divorced now. <laughs> <laughs> what a takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> and they did. Nobody yeah. tried to stop me. That just very much shows like the state of what your relationship was in and why it was probably so easy for you to com- mm-hmm. find comfort with mm-hmm. John and find a relationship there. Yeah. To feel listened to yes. and heard and mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. And supported in Absolutely. this thing that, you know, I felt so passionate about this prison dog program. Yeah. I felt called to help the dogs and to help the inmates and yeah. to do something that made a difference. And John, I mean, even though he was an inmate yeah. and was on the receiving end of it, he still believed in my program and right. my purpose. Sure. Yeah. And I didn't really get much support for it at home. Yeah. So that was refreshing. Now, this is a probably a really difficult question to answer. But do you think, had you met John under completely different circumstances, do you think that you guys would have still had enough in common to create some kind of relationship? Or do you think it's because he was so isolated and you were in... If that makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I've never really thought about that. I think it's possible that we could have created something yeah. because there was kind of a chemistry there right. almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There would have had to have been yes. or you would have never. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know that I would have spent enough time with him right. to really yeah. develop something. So here's the thing that I usually say. If I had met someone at a gas station while I was pumping gas yeah. and they, you know, started to kind of flirt with me, I'd have just pumped my gas and got in my car and left. Absolutely. Yeah. But when John was in the prison and he started kind of flirting a little bit, I thought, well, nothing's going to come of this. He's in prison. Right. So I'm safe. So right. there's no harm in, you know, letting wow. this happen. And that's was, really interesting. In prison for I, life. Like yes. he had a life sentence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what's like, that would very much be, I feel like a reasonable outlook to have. What's he have to gain from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and you would think there's nowhere that this can go. Yeah. There's nowhere, and what's the harm in it? Yes, what's the harm? That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. And there was harm in it. Yeah, right. Of course. But yeah, you wouldn't, you don't, you couldn't have seen that. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. This is just harmless. Yeah. Because he's in prison and I'm not. I'll just go home at the end of the day. Exactly. You know, I can walk out of prison anytime I want. Yeah. It was kind of an odd thing. Absolutely. An unnatural type of a relationship. Did you guys think that you would eventually get caught? Like... We'll go to this place in Tennessee. We'll have some fun for a while, and then we'll get caught. Or did you guys think that you know it'd be? A I whole didn't new life? think we'd get caught, but obviously we all know that I'm a pretty greenhorn criminal. <laughs> <laughs> and I think John thought we wouldn't get caught either, because here's the deal: when John went to prison, mm-hmm. there was no internet, right? And there's no internet inside the prison. Yeah. He did not know how hooked together everything, everything is. is. Yeah. Exactly. So he thought if we just got far enough away yeah. and blended in, oh yeah, they With would that never long find us. Hair. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. So was there a long-term plan? Like we're going to this cabin for this amount of time and then... There wasn't really. We were going to go to that cabin for a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we were going to go somewhere else and we hadn't decided yet where we were going to go. So, you know, and there's one thing, you know, John said, well, let's go to Mexico. And I said, oh no, I'm not going to Mexico because if we do get caught, those jails in Mexico are horrible. (laughs) So I think there had to be something inside me thinking, you know, something could happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing we decided. We weren't going to go to Mexico. We weren't going to go to Mexico. Wow. Was leaving the country, was that like... We hadn't even thought about that, but we didn't have passports. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah. Of course, John said, you know, I can get us IDs. I can get us whatever we need. I know how stuff works out here on the streets. I can find what we need. Uh And I just thought, okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because you didn't have any ideas. Oh, yes. May I ask what your fake name was? Mine was Molly Rose. Molly, I kind of like that. I know. I (laughs) do. Yeah. Yeah. And his was Mark West. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not bad. Strong strong names. Yeah, Yeah, I like the names, you know. I thought they were pretty fun. So we each got to pick our own. And I can't remember his logic behind his, but I just like the way mine sound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Okay, so you guys were ultimately caught after 12 days on Mm -hmm. the run, you said. And you were spotted at a Barnes & Noble. Is that right? Okay. We went to Barnes & Noble to buy a book. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And little did we know, I mean, this is so fluky. When we walked out of the Barnes & Noble... We walked right in front of the U.S. Marshals sitting in their car who had been to the cabin earlier that day and we weren't there. And they were sitting there trying to figure out their next step. And we walked right in front of them. That is like a movie. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, the long blonde hair. Yeah. Well, and so guys, they did followed you guys buy us. a book at Barnes & Noble? We did. We, did. we bought Where the Red Fern Grows. Okay. Because oh, yeah. John said that was my favorite book when I was a kid. And I said, I'd never read it. And he said, I'm going to buy you a copy. I want you to read it. You're going to love it. Okay. And um, so. Did you guys get like a latte at the coffee shop or anything? While you no, were but I didn't drink coffee. But John did. He was like, we went in somewhere and I got him a cappuccino something uh-huh. with caramel and he's yeah. like what is this yes, yes, yeah <laughs> yeah he was obsessed then yes, i bet so sure yeah so we walked in front of those marshals and they watched us go to our truck and then they started following us and when we got on the interstate they radioed ahead that we were coming mm-hmm. and they'd set up this trap onto the interstate mm-hmm. so this particular interstate going out of chattanooga it's kind of mountainous and it's a kind of interstate where the northbound lanes are separated from the southbound lanes by a forest okay you can't see yeah. one from the other okay. they're mm-hmm. quite separate and we're going down the highway And I noticed this light up ahead of us off to the side of the highway. And it was so bright, it was like daylight. Mm -hmm. And it was out of place. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like 1030 at night. Yeah. And I thought, they must be doing road construction up there. And they've got the highway all lit up for Mm -hmm. these workers. Right. Because this just doesn't make sense. And so as we drive further up, and I'm watching as we pass, and I don't see any road construction, and I can't tell where the light's coming from. Mm -hmm. But I notice that there's a police car across the ramp, Mm -hmm. not letting any traffic on. Mm -hmm. And so I turned to John and I said, there must be a big wreck up front of us. You didn't have any inclination. Like it was not, yeah, not even on your radar. No. And John said... Oh, Toby. Oh, no. (laughs) This is all for us. And I said, what's for us? And then I looked out. I turned from looking out the side when I looked out in front of us. And there was like 50 or 60 Uh police cars on the interstate in front of us. Yeah. And I said, 
And he said, that light's from the helicopter. Oh, my gosh. And then he said to me, he said, well, Tobe, you're in this too. So what is it you want to do? Wow. And I said, well, John, if they turn on the sirens and ask you to pull over, you have to pull over because that's the law. Not a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) And he he said, if that's what you want to do, that's what we'll do. And so So he didn't pressure you. No, he didn't. And so we're driving down the highway. We're coming up on these police cars. And just then, and I know he's going to pull over. He's told me he's going to pull over. Mm -hmm. Just then this police car comes spinning around us really fast and cuts in front of us and slams on their brakes Uh because they wanted us to hit them. Yeah. And it made John so mad. Uh Uh-huh. And he just floored it. And he took off and he said, I'm not stopping. These MFers are trying to kill us. I'm going to run until we run out of gas. Oh, my God. And I looked over at the gas tank, and it was three quarters of a tank. Uh-huh. And I thought, how long is it going to take us to run out of gas yeah. at three quarters of a tank? And that was the last thing I heard. So there's all these sirens around us, and John's going in between these cars. And I look out, and there's like a semi-truck like an inch from my window. Oh, my God. And we're, we're going fast. Yeah. And this weird vortex thing kind of happened, but everything was happening in slow motion, uh-huh. and I couldn't hear a thing. Uh-huh. There was no sound at all. And John was talking. I couldn't hear him. Yeah. I couldn't hear the sirens. I couldn't hear anything. And at one point, we got into a place where we were kind of stuck and we couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And so John swerved off into the median and cut across the trees yeah. and the hills and the rocks oh and came out on the other side. And Oh, he actually broke through yes, to the other side? Whoa. Yes, yes. And then, you know, the police cars followed us. And then when we got on the other side... There was a semi-truck. Evidently, the semi-trucks cooperate in police chases. I never knew this. I didn't know that either. But they slow down, and they Mm -hmm. try to box you in Uh and stop you from going around. Mm -hmm. It was pretty ingenious, I thought, that the police had, you know, worked that out with the semi-truck drivers. Yeah. Anyway, this semi-truck tried to force us off the road, and so we went onto the shoulder, and then he kept coming over, so John went into the grass, Mm -hmm. and we're going 100 miles an hour. And he's driving through the grass, and then he gets around the semi-truck, he gets in front of it, and he cuts back onto the pavement, but when the wheels hit the pavement after being on the grass Uh and going 100 miles an hour, he lost control of the truck. And we went straight across... I have the dash cam video of it, actually. I mean, we're right in front of that semi-truck. Yeah. And we hit a tree head on at 100 miles an hour. Oh, my God. That was the end. Yeah. Oh, and it's amazing I, that you both survived I, I that. Know I know. Well, we were wearing seatbelts <laughs> because yeah. that's the law. That's the law. That's the message here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just always wear your seatbelt. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. And as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Did you sustain injuries? Just, I was just bruised from head oh to toe, but gosh. that's it. No broken bones. Nothing no. broken. Either one of us. Oh my gosh. And I, I had the wind knocked out uh-huh, of me. Of course. But... This policeman came to the window. I mean, they come running up, and they're in these black outfits with these helmets on and oh, these yeah, masks. Like SWAT, they, like they were the SWAT, SWAT guys, team, yeah. and they had little black machine guns that were about this long. Oh and they gosh. put it, and the windows are all broken out. Yeah, and they stick it through the window, and they say, "Get out of the truck!" And the wind's knocked out of yeah. me, and I'm, uh, 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 I can't talk. Yeah, and my seatbelt's jammed; it won't release, uh-huh. and I'm trying to get it released, you know. And and I'm trying to tell him I'm stuck; yeah. I can't yeah. get out, and I couldn't say anything. And he's just jamming that gun through the window oh, and screaming yeah. at me, and I'm thinking. Oh my gosh, they're going to shoot me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, they could say you're resisting. Yes. Or something. Yeah. Yes. That's terrifying. And they did yeah. say later. Yeah. Actually, in, you in one of my sentencings, the marshal said that you Miss Young resisted arrest. It's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, look you're at like, me. I'm, like, not yeah. <laughs> I'm not a resister. Yeah. I'm not a resister. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So when I finally got my seatbelt undone, he said to me, I'll get you out of that truck. Well, the door wouldn't open either because my door was completely smashed uh-huh. in. He said, I'll get you out of that truck. And he reached in through the window and he grabbed me by my hair <gasps> in the back of my shirt oh my and gosh, pulled, pulled me out, out the window and threw me on the ground and stood on my back. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Yeah. You know? And then the funny thing is, then they, you know, my shoe came off uh-huh. and they're dragging me across the ground. I said, I lost my shoe. And he said, what? And I said, my shoe. I need my shoe. Can I get my shoe? And they're like, no, you're not getting your shoe. <laughs> and then this one guy said, let her get her shoe. Right. You know? <laughs> so I got my shoe back. And then we get to this, we're at the side of the road, and this marshal's asking me all these questions and having me sign all these papers. And I'm just signing whatever they say, you know, oh sign here, sign gosh. here. I'm signing, signing, you know, and. And then he because said, it wouldn't even occur to you that you probably no, shouldn't do that because that's no, what a, a law enforcement that's right. officials ask you to do. <laughs> that's right. Because I just fall in the law. Right. <laughs> so then he says, okay, you know, get in this car. We're going to take you to jail. And I said, wait a minute. I said, wasn't I just in a car wreck? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm kind of foggy too. And I'm like, what, didn't we just have a car wreck? And he said, yeah. And I said, I think I might need to Don't go to the you hospital. go to the hospital after you have a car wreck? And he said, well, one of these papers you signed says you declined medical care. And I said, oh, I, I just signed where you told me to sign. Oh. And so the marshal who let me have my shoe, he uh-huh. said, okay, just put her in the, take her to the hospital. Let's uh-huh. just get her checked out. Yeah. So then the paramedics were right there by the ambulance. The paramedics come running out with this, you know, board to put you on. And they put this neck collar on me and they lace it up. I said, what are you doing? And they said, 
well, you might have a broken neck. We need to protect your neck. And I said, do you know that they just pulled me out of the truck by my <laughs> by hair? By my neck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that ship has yeah. sailed. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I had a problem, it's already too far gone. Yeah. <laughs> so they put me on the stretcher and they put me in the back of the ambulance. One of the SWAT team guys with our little black machine gun jumps in the back of the ambulance. And he said to me, this is going to be the worst ride of your life. Oh, my oh. God. And he said, and if you so much as move, I will shoot you. And he said, and I won't let them give you medical assistance for 45 seconds. Wow. And the paramedic said to me, oh, my God, whatever you do, don't move. Just don't move. You know, just yeah. just play here. And so we're driving to the hospital. And I remembered I had some things in my pocket. So I put my hand down to reach in my pocket because oh. I was wondering if my rock was still in my pocket. I had a ladybug rock, uh-huh, you know? Yeah. And that SWAT team guy jumps up and jams that gun in my face and says, what's in your pocket? And I said, a rock. And, you know, the paramedic said, let me get it out. Let me yeah. get it out. You know, and I didn't even remember that. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I wanted to know if something was still in my pocket. Right. And, So we got to the hospital and the marshals came into the room with me, the exam room. And the doctor said, no, Mm -hmm. you will leave the room. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give her an exam just Uh like I'd give any other person. And she's entitled to her privacy. And they said, oh, we can't leave her. He said, you can stand outside the door. Yeah. There's no other way out of this room, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to give her an exam Mm -hmm. without you in the room. Yeah. You know, and then when they left and then he said to me, I'm going to treat you just like I'd treat any other patient. Hmm. You know, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you got here, yeah. but you're my patient. Yeah. So oh, that's, a good doctor. that's one yeah. thing I remembered. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing I remembered is that, you know, they did all these tests and there was nothing wrong with me. So they sent me out with a deputy to take mm-hmm. me to this county jail. And we're walking across the parking lot. And this one marshal, the one who let me have my shoe, mm-hmm. He and the other marshal were driving past me, and we were walking out the parking lot to get into the sheriff's car. Mm -hmm. And the marshal's car drove past us, and it stopped, and it backed all the way up. And then that marshal got out of the car, and he walked over to me, and he said, Toby, you're facing a lot of things you're going to have to go through, some pretty tough things. Mm -hmm. And he said, but don't let this act become who you are. Wow. And I clung to that. Yeah. The whole time I was in prison. And I thought he didn't have to stop and back up and come to tell me that. But he did. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. From the time that you guys were taken into custody, did you ever see John again? Yes. So that's a different story. But first, let me tell you about the time I went to court. Okay. Yes. Yes. Please do. Let's go to court. Let's go to court. (laughs) So the arrest happened on Friday night. I got to the jail like after midnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know it at the time, but my parents had been calling the the sheriff's office the whole weekend Uh saying, can we talk to our daughter? And they said, no. They said, if we get in our car and drive to Tennessee, can we see her? And they said, no. So Sunday afternoon, the sergeant at the jail comes and gets me and brings me to his office. Mm -hmm. And he said, are you comfortable? Can I get you a soda? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm all right. And he said, well, you know, we're getting ready for our call. And I said, what call? And he said, well, at five o'clock, MSNBC's calling to interview you. What? What? And I said, what? And he said, I've been working on this all day. You know, I've got it set up. And I said, you know, I've never been arrested before, (laughs) but I do watch TV and I read a lot of books and I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be doing an interview with anybody (laughs) without a lawyer. And he said, well, they're going to be mad at me if you aren't here. And I said, well, 
I'm sorry. And I got up and I just went back to my cell and shut the door behind me. It's like, that was the craziest thing. So then the next day, Monday, I'm supposed to go to court. Yeah. And they come and get me and this sheriff puts this belt around my Mm -hmm. chest. And I thought she said... It was to protect her because Mm -hmm. she thought I was too violent, which didn't make sense to me. (laughs) And that if I got too close to her, it was going to shock me. And what she really said was, it's so that you don't escape. And if you get further than 10 feet away from me, it will shock you and it'll knock you to the ground. Well, that made sense. But what I thought. And so we were in the back of the car and I was scooch clear to the far side, trying to not get too close to her because I didn't want to get shocked, you know, and and my mind was just a puddle. You know, I was a mess. So we're driving through the mountains, this little town, and we get to this county seat and we pull into the downtown and there's a courthouse in the middle of town, Mm -hmm. just like all the other little towns. And the entire streets are shut down Mm -hmm. and the whole place is filled with news trucks. Oh, yeah. And they had their satellite dishes set up, you know, they're blocking the streets. And I said, oh, isn't this just my luck? to come to town on a day when something big is happening. <laughs> you are the thing that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what the officer said. They started laughing. They said, this is you. Yes. And I said, well, why? I mean, yeah. I, you know, I just didn't get it. So you do you just had, well, you hadn't looked at the internet. You hadn't yeah, been watching right. TV. So you had mm-hmm. no idea how big the story I had, had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. And so they said, well, we're going to try to avoid them. And they whipped around to another entrance and they got me out of the car and they were trying to rush me into the courthouse. And then this media, you just looked and the whole media pack's running down the street, you know, with their microphones. And one of them gets to me and he sticks his microphone in my face. He was for Channel 5 here in Kansas City. And he said, was 12 days with John Maynard worth 10 years of your life? And I said, what? Wow. You know, and then they hustled me into the courtroom. But I kept thinking, what is he talking about? 10 years of my life. Yeah, because had you talked to an attorney yet or anything? No. Oh, you, okay, okay. No. Yeah. So you at this point probably had no idea what charges you were no. facing. Nothing. Yeah. Was it? No. <laughs> it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll bleep those names. I was yeah. just curious. Yeah. And he chased me around the entire time I was going to court, you oh, know, goodness. and I was like, one time I told him if I was going to talk to anybody, it wouldn't be you. No. Yeah. No. After starting with uh-huh. that question. No, uh-huh. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to court and, you know, and they sent me back to Leavenworth uh-huh. and Leavenworth, Kansas, Leavenworth, yeah. Kansas. So to were Leavenworth you facing County Jail. state and federal charges? I got my state. I was facing, you know what? I can't even tell you what my charges were, yeah. which is a weird thing. You know, well, my yeah. husband today says, how can you not know your charges? Because all I knew was the number of months. Yeah. yeah. But I think there was four or five state charges uh-huh. I was facing and I think they charged me with two of them uh-huh. one of them was bringing the cell phone into the prison uh-huh. and I don't know what the other one was mm-hmm. but surely it had to be helping him escape yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah that so makes sense. yeah well because Lansing's a state prison not a federal prison. yeah that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right so I got sentenced to 21 months state time uh-huh. and it was kind of funny because when I first got there you know, I got there really late on a Wednesday night. It was like after midnight. And I had to go to court the next morning. Uh-huh. And my brother's best friend was an attorney. Mm-hmm. So he said he'd take my case. Mm-hmm. And 
We went to court and he showed up there. You know, they say all this stuff that doesn't even make sense. They just mumble this stuff up there. Right. And you got to be in the courtroom for it. Yeah. But you don't say anything. Right. Or have any kind of response. Or know what any of it means. Yeah. (laughs) So I remember him saying, you know, my attorney said, Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a continuance because I just, I haven't had a chance to talk to my client. Yeah. Right. And he said, okay, we'll give you a two-week continuance. Uh And I just fell apart. And I said, two weeks? You're going to leave me in jail for two weeks? I can't do two weeks. You know, and I did 21 months. Yeah. Two weeks was nothing. But at the time, I was just stunned that I was going to be in there You were unprepared for for what was happening. Oh, yeah. Did you take a deal? Did they offer you a deal to plead? The state did offer me a deal. The Uh feds wouldn't give me a deal. Would not. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that I got a 21-month sentence. Uh-huh. And the weird thing is there's this whole chart that they go by, and their one column means your criminal history, and the other row means the severity of your crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so where I fell, I was in a border box. Right. Which means I should have gotten probation. Mm-hmm. You know, but the prosecutor said, I can't give her probation because the media will kill me. Right. So we're going to have to do a prison sentence, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, they agreed to mm-hmm. 21 months. So, mm-hmm. Where did you serve your time? Well, it was kind of crazy. So I was in two county jails, and then I went to the women's prison in Topeka. In Topeka, uh-huh. I was only there for two months, and then they filed the federal charges against mm-hmm. me. So they came and picked me up, and they took me to the federal holding facility. Mm-hmm. That's where I spent most of my time. Okay. I spent 15 months there. Mm-hmm. It was a private, for-profit prison mm-hmm. in Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. And I slipped and fell while I was there and broke my leg. <gasps> Oh, my gosh. And it took them 10 days to x-ray it. Wow. Because they didn't want to spend the money. Uh-huh. So, and then yeah. when I got my That's leg x-rayed pro- finally. Oh, just like the smallest part uh-huh. of our problem with our prison yeah. system yeah. here in the United States. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I got my leg x-rayed, the doctor said it was out of place and it needed to be set. Oh, my But it had been too long. He yeah. couldn't set it in the office. He needed to take me to surgery. And they said no. Oh, wow. No surgery. So they just put a cast on it. And I wore a cast for eight weeks, and it hadn't started healing. And then I wore another cast for eight more weeks. And then I wore another cast. And then I wore a boot for six months after that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For-profit prisons. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what that adjustment period was like. Because you had led such a normal life for Mm -hmm. so long, and then all of a sudden you're in prison. What was that like? How did you adjust? Well... The funny thing is, for the first three weeks that I was in the jail, Mm -hmm. the warden there, oh, he's the administrator, I guess he's not a warden, but he would come and visit me every day, and we would just talk, and he kept me in this medical holding place because he didn't want to put me in general population because Mm -hmm. he thought I would get beat up. Mm -hmm. And so after three weeks, he came to me and he said, what are you still doing here? And I said, well, I haven't finished court yet. Yeah. And he said, well, why aren't you bailing out? And I said, well, my attorney says I should just stay here mm-hmm. because he says it's crazy out there. There's media all over oh, the place. Yeah. I didn't even think about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You would have been. He said the media won't harassed. leave you alone if you go out there. So I said, so I'm just staying here for a while. And he said, well, I need this medical holding room back. I, You know, I had you in here because I didn't want to put you in general population. Yeah. But I need to move you there now. And I said, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'll pack my stuff. And he said, well, I'm going to put you in SAG. And I said, no, you're not. Yeah, no. (laughs) So, and I said, why? I haven't broken any rules. Yeah. I don't need to go to SAG. And he said, Toby, you can't hold your own in there. 
And I said, well, I'll, I'd like to try. Yeah. And he said, you're going to have a candy bar and they won't. And you're going to get beat up for it. And I said, well, then I'll just have to learn to share. Oh but gosh. I am not going to sag. And I put my foot down, which was the first time I put my foot down about anything. Uh-huh. And I said, I won't go to SAG. Uh-huh. I'm not going to SAG. Mm-hmm. And so he came back and he said, well, if you sign this paper, it's releasing us from any responsibility if you get beat up. And I said, OK, fine. So I signed the paper and they moved me in regular population. Uh-huh. And when I got there, when I walked through the door, all the women you know, they were all talking, and I mm-hmm. walked in the room, and there was just dead silence. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they all looked at me, and then they started talking again, you know. Yeah. And then the officers left, and then they said, we wondered when you'd get down here. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all over the news. We yeah. know who you are. Yeah. yeah. And the officer had said to this girl, said, who has an open bunk in their room? And this girl raised her hand, and mm-hmm. I call her Jessica in my book. Uh-huh. Um, and she said, I have an empty room. So I go to her room. Then it's time for lockdown, which yeah. I didn't know what lockdown was till then. And we go to the room. And so she and I in this room, and she's 19 years old. Uh-huh. And she outweighs me by a good 200 pounds. Uh-huh. And she just starts talking. And she's like, you know, I robbed the Hunan driver. I ordered Chinese food. And when he came up, I robbed him. I don't know why I robbed him. But, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but here I am. And, and I'm on all kinds of psych meds. I hear voices in my head. Oh, and hell. they tell me to hurt people. <laughs> but since I got here, they took me off my psych meds and they won't give me anything. She said, I can't make these voices stop. And they tell me to hurt people. She said, but I think I like you. I don't think I'll hurt you. Do you oh. want to play cards? Oh, and I my said, gosh. Yes, I'll nice. play cards. <laughs> <laughs> So we played cards till four in the morning. And I thought, I won't go to sleep until she's asleep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but anyway, she turned out to be cool and Uh I liked her a lot. And Uh uh, about a month or so later, they still hadn't gotten her the psych drugs. So the crazy thing is when you go to jail, if you're on medication, they take you off of everything and they have to reevaluate you and decide if they want you to be on the medications. And if they don't, you don't get them. Wow. Uh, And there's not a psychiatrist on duty at the jails just medical doctors so it's yeah. harder to get the psych drugs yeah wow that seems like just the a recipe for disaster absolutely and if you don't have any power you don't get anything yeah and so a month later she still hadn't gotten her psych meds she's been in jail for over two months now with no psych wow. meds and you're not supposed to go off of them cold turkey. no and she was on heavy duty psych drugs oh my goodness and so one day they came around for pill call and she hollered down said do i have pills on the cart yet and they said no and she got so mad and she took her fists and she started hitting the walls of our room Mm -hmm. and they're concrete walls yeah Yeah. and she's hitting them with her fists and her fists are bloody and broken open and she's screaming and cussing and of course the control room can hear you because they've got the mic open and so pretty soon they come running in the swat team you know and they're Mm -hmm. in there to take her to the ground and arrest her and i said stop don't touch her i said she's upset i'll calm her down you go get ice packs for her hands do you see how beat up her hands are Mm -hmm. go get her some ice packs Mm -hmm. and they left and went and got ice packs oh my gosh and i thought wow you know (laughs) yeah so anyway by the time they came back i had her calm down and they ice packed her hands and then the jail administrator came in and said pack your stuff i'm moving you to another room and i thought yeah because he doesn't want me to get hurt because i'm 
a high yeah. profile inmate and yeah. he doesn't want to be on the news. Nope, so exactly. that night they took her to Osawatomie. Uh-huh. That's they, where the that's where the mental hospital mm-hmm. is yeah. and yeah, the statement. And they facility. got her she came back six weeks later and mm-hmm. I held all her stuff for her uh-huh. while she was gone and she came back and she had all her drugs and Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. So, you know, some of the craziest stuff happens in there. But, you know, there's a commissary where you can buy items off the commissary to eat. And the food is so bad. It's just inedible. It's yeah. horrible. So the food is so bad. And this one girl had some kind of a, maybe she had Crohn's disease. I don't know what. She had some kind of disease with her intestines. Mm-hmm. She couldn't eat bologna. Yeah. And so she got peanut butter and jelly every day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted peanut butter and jelly because yeah. what we got was horrible. What yeah. were you served? Do you mind, like, could you tell us, like, uh, an example like, of a meal? Powdered eggs. Oh. And they're made, like... At least four hours before they're served mm-hmm. to you, uh-huh. so they're rubbery. So they're not cold. even good when you no yeah. when yeah. they're first made, but then they wait no. for four hours. And okay. toast, they give you bread yeah. at every meal because yeah. it fills you up. Right. And then for lunch, we'd get a sandwich, usually a bologna sandwich. Mm-hmm. And for dinner, you'd get some kind of a meal that we couldn't even recognize, like yeah. Yeah. chili or mm-hmm. some kind of taco casserole thing. Yeah. So pasta lots of pasta Mm -hmm. and uh, no fresh vegetables no fresh fruit yeah Yeah. and I wanted to get peanut butter so I asked the jail administrator what do I have to do to get peanut butter for lunch he said well that's only for vegetarians or people with a medical condition I said okay I'm a vegetarian (laughs) he said you can't be a vegetarian I said I can too Mm -hmm. and he said you weren't a vegetarian yesterday and I said I am today yeah (laughs) starting now And so he brings down another form for me to sign uh-huh. that I'm going to be a vegetarian <laughs> so I get peanut butter. Uh-huh. And then, uh, I, you know, when you look at the commissary, they have ramen noodles. That's the mm-hmm. only thing you can get yeah. to eat. And the food is so bad, and they serve such small portions of it that you're always hungry. Oh, and yeah. one of the prisons I was in, said the head of the kitchen said, my job is to feed everyone three times a day. My job is not to make sure that they're not hungry. Uh-huh. So yeah. you were always hungry. And so in the jail, I said, we need to get some healthier items on the commissary. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, you know, if you ride a kite and you send those in, they're just a piece of paper with a request on them. And the administrator or the warden has to answer every one of them. Uh-huh. So I told all the women, everybody go get a kite and sit down and copy what I write exactly. Yeah. And so we wrote, you know, we want healthier items. We want peanut butter on the commissary. We want, you know, toothpaste on the commissary. We want some healthy items. Yeah. yeah. And we sent in the kites, all of us. Mm-hmm. And the next day we did it again. And the next day we did it again. And the next day we did it again. Until the fifth day, the warden came down to the pod and he said, Miss Young, what do I have to do to get you to stop? And I said, put peanut butter on the commissary. Yeah. <laughs> So we did. So you know, it was kind of fun actually. (laughs) Some parts of it. So I kind of, you know, taught those women that they could be their own advocates. So if you stand up and you work together for something that you have good chances of making it happen. Yeah. Did your lawyer ever tell you not to plead guilty? Was that the plan from the beginning? Like, this is just the best? No. You know, my federal attorney said he was thinking about using a battered women I was, defense. I was going to say, because it seems Emotionally. like there would be such mm-hmm. a play to say, I was manipulated, I was tricked into doing this, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then he said he decided not to. He mm-hmm. talked to some specialists and, yeah. and everybody. So pretty much they wanted me to just plead guilty yeah. and not bother going to trial. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was much better that way. Yeah. Did you, so you never regretted pleading guilty at all? No. No. Okay. No. I mean, I wanted to plead guilty because I wanted to take responsibility. I felt mm-hmm. like I needed to take responsibility so that I can move on. Oh, yeah. Because if I didn't take responsibility, if I tried to say it was somebody else's fault, then how could I ever move past it? Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. So. That's a really strong outlook to have. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty important, really, yeah. for anything to take responsibility for your actions yeah. and not to blame someone else. Yeah. Because every one of us, we all have the ability to say no. Oh, yeah. So when you don't say no, you're responsible. Yeah. So. You know, we were talking earlier before we actually turned the mics on, but we were talking about how you spent your time in prison. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know you did a ton of reading. I did. You wrote poetry. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I realized that while I was in prison, I had a huge blessing of time because Mm -hmm. my life was so busy and so hectic that I didn't have time for myself at all. But now that I'm in prison, that's all I've got on my hands is time. Yeah. So I could take all that time and use it to examine who I was and what got me here and to try to figure out who I wanted to be when I got out and try to figure out what things do I need to learn in order to be that person. So I did a lot of reading and a lot of work on finding books that helped me to be a stronger person and to learn more about myself. And I had journals. I probably have, I don't know. 25 journals that I filled while I was in prison. Mm -hmm. I started writing poetry and it just made such a difference in figuring out who I was and what I could do. And it was a blessing that I started doing that while I was in prison because when I got out of prison, I had a really hard time adjusting. Mm -hmm. And I was stunned that it was a hard time adjusting because it wasn't that long of a sentence. Right. And so I thought I'd just come home and everything would be normal, but it was so far from normal. Yeah. I mean, my family and friends had changed. And so when you go away to prison, you know, everybody else's lives just keep going. Yeah. And yours kind of stops here. Yeah. And when you come out, you're at two different places and, and they've had experiences that you weren't a part of. Yeah. And they've gotten used to you not being in their lives. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to wedge your way back in. Yeah. So I found it really difficult to adjust. I'm sure. I have a question that I should have asked, like, 45 minutes ago. No, you, the time is past. The time is past. <laughs> We're going to do some brilliant editing. We're going to sneak it back in. No, I'm wondering, before you helped John escape, did you talk about the plan with any friends? Or no. You totally kept, kept it a secret. I didn't you talk yourself? about it to anybody. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I didn't have any friends. Okay, but you were married. How did you manage to buy the car and I mean you took a large sum of money with you too mm-hmm. didn't you where did all of that come it from it came from my 401k okay so, so you were able to do that without uh-huh. him being able yes. to see that yes. you had done that mm-hmm. so i cashed in my retirement to mm-hmm. escape okay which is a problem now yeah and you know i think it just kind of shows that my husband and i really didn't communicate much yeah. because it was no problem doing any of this stuff. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. there we go. Yeah. 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 That says it, it all no that, it, that it was no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't like you two were sitting around talking for no. hours and hours and mm-hmm. you had this big secret you had to hold yeah. back. No. No. 
No, not at all. So we were like two ships passing in the uh-huh. night, I think, more yeah. than anything. So yeah. it wasn't hard at all. You had asked me earlier mm-hmm. if that was the last time I saw yeah. John Maynard when yeah. he they took him away. Uh-huh. And for a long time it was. Right. Um, so real quick, John, for his role in all of this, John got an additional 10 years added to his, on top of his To his sentence, state sentence. To a state sentence. And then I think he got another 10 years in, for his for federal, federal sentence. Yeah. So they don't put you back in the prison you escaped from, do they? Did he, they put him somewhere else? Yeah, they put him in Supermax. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he was in Supermax for like eight years uh-huh. in Kansas. Yeah. Which is really, it's jail within jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go outside an right. hour a day. You don't interact with other inmates. It's it's a pretty hard way to serve time. Yeah. Actually. And that he spent eight years there. Yeah. That would be terrible. Oh, yeah. So they have this program in prisons where if a prison doesn't like you, mm-hmm. they can trade you to another prison for someone that that prison doesn't like. Uh-huh. Oh, God. And so Kansas didn't want anything to do with John Maynard because yeah. he'd embarrassed them. They traded him to New Hampshire for somebody New Hampshire didn't want. Oh, wow. So he was in prison in New Hampshire for, I don't know, five or six years, something like that. This was after he'd been in Supermax for eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... um A reporter called me one day and said that he had been talking to John Maynard and would it be okay if he gave John my phone number? Wow. So I talked to my husband. I got married so 10 you, years I, ago. I, you got divorced when <clears throat> I got all of divorced. Happened, the day right? before yes. I went to prison. Yes. I got divorced. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was divorced and when I got out of prison I took a job in Boston for five months and I met my husband there yeah and we got married in 2009 Uh so we've been married for 10 years and you know I've learned what a relationship can be and should be Mm -hmm. and it's awesome you know we talk about everything I couldn't even sneak out to buy Chris a birthday present without (laughs) him knowing you know let alone go buy a car and finance an escape you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) that would never go so Chris and I talked about it, and I said, you know, this guy wants to give John Maynard my phone number. And he said, well, talk to him, Toby. He said, I think you should talk to him. He said, he's got nobody. You know, he needs a friend. So tell him to call you. So John did. He called, and he talked to me, and he talked to Chris. Uh And he called for a couple of years. He called once a week or so. Uh And there was one time where John needed a pair of boots. He mm-hmm. didn't have his shoes. And Chris said, send him the money for those boots, Toby. Yeah. So we did. And we tried to help him out. Well, my husband is from Maine. He mm-hmm. grew up in Maine. And mm-hmm. one year we were driving back to Maine. Is he Stephen King? No. Okay, he's not. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> he doesn't even like Stephen King. <laughs> Maybe he's just saying that. Yeah, no. that could be. That could be. So we were going to drive back to Maine to see where Chris grew up and see his old friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. And John said, well, Toby... New Hampshire's right next to Maine. He said, I'm going to send you a visiting form. And I said, John, they are not going to let us come in to visit you. There's no way. And he said, just fill out the form. So I filled it out and it came back approved. Oh, my (laughs) God. 
Oh, okay. can you believe it? Well, did they not know their ass from their elbow, or like, was it because you had a, a new you had a new last name? I had a new last name, but it asked for social security number. Right. Holy crap! Wow. I don't know. So did so you, you went visit? and visit him? We went and visited. Chris <gasps> wow. and I both did. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was so weird because yeah. I had a panic attack in the waiting room going yeah. into the prison. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just the weirdest thing. And I felt so bad because, you know, my mom came to visit me every week the uh-huh. whole time I was in prison. My mom was so wonderful to me and so supportive of me. And it just broke my heart because sitting in that waiting room to go in to visit someone is so inhumane. Yeah. I mean, they search you. They take your stuff. They mm-hmm. treat you like garbage yeah. because you're there to visit garbage. Yeah. And I felt so bad for what my mom went through yeah. to support yeah. me. And it just made me love her even more. Oh, yeah. And she's gone now, so I couldn't even tell her that. But, and you know, then we went in to see John and it was like, it was so weird because yeah. here we are. You know, and I could give him a hug, and Chris shook his hand, you know, and we sat down and visited, and, and John looks just the same, except he's got a lot of gray hair now, uh-huh. and we talked for a couple hours, and we really had a good visit, you know, and Chris liked him. Yeah. Chris said, Toby, he's so smart, you know, he's yeah. so intelligent, it's, it's good to have a conversation with him. Hmm. which is what attracted me to him to begin with. Right. But the greatest thing was that it really gave me closure. I bet. You know, because I could hug him and say goodbye and walk out the door. And that, you know, that was that. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we talked to John for maybe four or five months after that visit, and then he just kind of quit calling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where he is now. He's not in New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. but he's gone somewhere else. Yeah. It wow. sounds like you still had, like, some affection for him. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I yeah. still like him. You know, yeah. even Chris says he likes him. You know, I think he's a decent guy. I think he really got a bum rap. I am not a fan of the felony murder charge, mm-hmm. and I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of the death penalty either. Mm-hmm. Both yeah. of those things I'm against. Yeah. And I just don't think that when you're 17, you should be sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. That yeah. just doesn't sound, you know, yeah. you don't even make rational adult decisions yeah. when you're 17. Yeah. I think it's terrible that someone was killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that that should be ignored. Yeah. Real quick, just like for the legal side of this. So sure. he did attempt to appeal his conviction based on the fact that they had tried him with the other person. Yeah. Because that's the only way that he was connected mm-hmm. to the murders. Like that was the deal from the beginning is that they knew he was not the person who had pulled the trigger. Right. There was never any yeah, doubt. But yeah. his appeal was denied. Yeah. 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 A guy that I went to high school with was a Wall Street Journal reporter, and he did a big article about me. Mm-hmm. Um, did and we he, both read that one? Probably. No, yeah, I yeah. think we both did. Yeah. And he did a lot of research for his article, and he actually yeah. talked to the prosecutor that prosecuted John Maynard. Yeah. And the prosecutor told him, I knew he didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. And he said... And I also knew that if he'd committed his crime in Wyandotte County or Jackson County, he'd have gotten eight years. Mm -hmm. But he committed his crime in Johnson County, and we don't let people get away with that here. Mm -hmm. And that's just not right. You know, where you commit your crime shouldn't affect the penalty. So a 17 year old being sentenced mm -hmm. to life in prison, I can't. That's that's really difficult one to get behind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think John will ever get out of prison. And and that's sad. Uh That's. Yeah. Out of my hands. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk about like your life now? What you're, yes. what you're up to now? Hold on. Hold on. Oh, you got I more. St- I have I have a weird question. Okay. I, I, just because I'm curious. 
How long did you wait until you told Chris your story? Well, not very long at all, because here was the weird thing. So Chris and I worked together when Uh I took that job in Boston, and I'd only been there like a week. They did some construction work, and one of the guys that was on their crew had gotten arrested for a DUI. Mm -hmm. And Chris said, I need to write a letter to Oscar. He's in this jail up Mm -hmm. in Maine. And, And I said, well, do you know his inmate number uh-huh because if you don't put his inmate number on the letter yeah they won't give it to him yeah and he was like how do you know, like, you know that <laughs> how the hell do you know that <laughs> and so he went that night home and googled me yeah and he came yeah. back in the next day and he He's said like, we need to talk we yeah. have a lot to talk about <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he knew right away uh-huh. yeah. yeah so that was pretty funny yeah. so today i finished my memoir mm-hmm. and my memoir is called unleashed mm-hmm. a story of escape and redemption mm-hmm. and really it focuses on rebuilding my life what yeah. it took to rebuild and it's with an agent now yeah and it's so being exciting. considered by a publisher next week That's so nice. i'm keeping my fingers yes. crossed yes. We'll, keep, we'll keep all of yes. our fingers crossed yes yes, yes. and I also signed a deal with an independent movie producer uh-huh. for uh, the options to the story. And I'm co-writing a screenplay with her. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm so excited. And then I, I mean, the story tells like a movie. I know. Yes, I, there is I would watch this movie oh, again and again. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And then I have just finished a 12-week workbook for women in prison because I feel it's really important to be able to try to help those women who are in prison and offer them what I found is that I could use this time for my benefit to start to rebuild my life and to grow. And so I've put a workbook together that has six exercises for each week that kind of leads them down a path of examining who they are and what they need to change in their life so that when they get out of prison, they can get out and put the best foot forward. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You showed it to us tonight, and mm-hmm. I was actually thinking that it could be good for kind of anyone. Anyone. Yeah. yeah. Anyone. Yes, I've had some women read it and edit it for me, and they're like, this works for any woman, mm-hmm. you know, because there's all kinds of prisons. You don't have to be behind bars. They're 100% yeah. are all so, Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I, I am going to offer it. So the website for the workbook is called Butterflies Unleashed. And I will have it listed in there for sale within the next, well, by March 1st. Excellent. So within the next couple of weeks, it'll be available to buy on the website. That's great. It's really cool. It was really, it was really, yeah, you showed us kind of all through it. I was very impressed with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun putting it together. So, you know, there was a time I was on suicide watch, I don't know, two or three times while I was in prison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the last time I was on suicide watch was the only time I should have been on suicide Uh watch. And suicide watch is a terrible thing. So you're in a cell Mm -hmm. with a glass front on it, Mm -hmm. and an officer sits outside your door, and every 15 minutes they have to write in a book what you did for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And if you need to use the bath, you have to ask them for toilet paper. They'll give you four squares. Oh, my gosh. And if you want more than four squares, you have to justify why. Wow. Oh, my God. It's pretty bad. They bring you your meals, but they don't give you any utensils. Mm -hmm. And so you have to scoop up your food and eat it with your hands. Oh, my gosh. Because you can't have any utensils. I mean, suicide watch is a terrible thing. And you're naked. Yeah. Yeah. And they give you a blanket that is two feet wide and four feet long. So mm-hmm. you can lay on it or you can cover up with it, but yeah. you can't do both. Yeah. And it's a concrete floor and concrete walls. Oh. And it's cold. It's horrible. And the lights never go off. And that time I was laying in there and I was just praying. You know, I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Just let me go. Just come on. Just I've had enough. You yeah. know, I just want to be gone. And 
I heard a voice tell me that I was going to survive this and I was going to get out of prison and I was going to share my story to change the lives of other women. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to honor that. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel really passionate about it. You know, there are people who would rather I didn't tell my story, but I can't stop. It's just has to be. Nor should you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you should stop. Mm -hmm. You talk about, you know, rebuilding your life. How long did it take? Because this was 14 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? How long do you think it took for you to really get to where you are? I think it took 10 years to Mm -hmm. get to where I am. It was a long time, you know, and it it took a lot of things to get to that point. It took meeting Chris, Mm -hmm. who supported me and encouraged me to Mm -hmm. continue to grow and to stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. It took making the decision to go to counseling for three years, yeah. once a week, with no insurance. Yeah. yeah. You know, $92 a week yeah. to go to counseling wow. for three years mm-hmm. that we couldn't even begin to afford. Yeah. And I told Chris, we can't afford for me to go to counseling. And he said, we can't afford for you not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I went. Yeah. And it took that. Plus, it's also taken telling my story, yeah. you know, standing yeah. up and owning it. And sharing with other women and trying to help others. It's those three things that really has brought me through it. Absolutely. Wasn't easy. I it would have been easier to just, you know, there was a time when I thought I'd get out of prison and I'd change my name and I'd just mm-hmm. become someone different and I'd never talk about mm-hmm. this. But I think that would have eaten me up. There's also, through all of this, you suffered a great amount of loss through all of mm-hmm. this, yeah. too. The loss of your life before mm-hmm. all of this, the loss of your identity before all of this. Yeah. And you were in love with someone yes. through all of this. That's yes. a big loss, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. yeah, it took me three and a half years to realize that I could live without loving John Maynard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was tough to get over. I mean, I was I was a basket case. Over. Yeah. But I reached a point where I realized, you know, that wasn't going to be possible and I just needed to let go and move on. Right. Was it scary to go to counseling? I think, I feel like so many people are nervous about going to counseling and they haven't been through half of what you've (laughs) Mm -hmm. been through. It was scary and it was such a relief to go to counseling. So I had lived my whole life never talking about anything that was bad in Mm -hmm. my life. Right. And so... I didn't know how to even do it. Yeah. But to finally be somewhere where I had permission to just talk about everything that was broken and not have someone tell me, stop talking about that. Yeah. You know, that was kind of freeing, I guess. Yeah. 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 So, and you know, there were times when I didn't want to go down a particular path and I had a counselor that was good enough at her job to circle back to it uh-huh. when I was ready for yeah. it. Yeah. So, did you go to the same counselor for all that yes, time? Yes, I and did. And you found someone mm-hmm. who you just really yes. like connected with, mm-hmm. and it worked well for yeah. you. That's great. Yeah. So I just loved her. She did an excellent job, and still, you know, I can call her and say, "I really need to come see you," and yeah. she'll work yeah. me in. Oh yeah. So I've only quit going on a regular basis a year ago. Mm-hmm. So it was good. Sometimes, you know, I even wake up and I go, did I do that? Right. Was that yeah. my life? Was that me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes it just seems so far-fetched that I can't yeah. even believe it myself. Have you, I guess not as much now, but when all of this was first happening, you first got out of prison or whatever, did people recognize you? Yes. Yeah. And that's why I moved to Boston. Yeah. I mean, when I first got out of prison, I would go to a restaurant and people would be pointing at uh-huh. me and whispering. Oh, yeah. And I... I couldn't deal with it. Oh, yeah. And so I went to Boston, took that five-month job in Boston Mm -hmm. where I met Chris. Yeah. And then we came back here, 
And I we lived in Kansas City for a year, and then we moved to Sedalia, uh-huh. which was a little bit away, but still close, close enough, enough that I could yeah. come back. Yeah. And then three years ago, you know, I felt really called to come back to Kansas City, and I told Chris, you know, I ran away from Kansas City so I could heal. Yeah. Now I need to go back because I can't really finish healing till I come um, back and face yeah. everybody yeah. here. So yeah, wow. it is kind of amazing that you're here. Yeah. You know. I think it would have been the natural inclination to go anywhere. Yes. And I intended when I got out of prison, I was leaving. I wasn't staying in Kansas City ever. I was and I decided I wanted to go to Boston. And then I got a job offer in Boston the next day while I was still in prison, which is crazy. And I went to Boston and my son was dying of cancer, my youngest son. And Mm. and I just needed to come back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but then you meet your husband in Boston. Yeah. Like that's just like yeah, that was so meant to be. It was. I think yeah. that's the only reason I went to Boston. Yeah, you know, and I was only there five months, but he came back with me. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it worked out. If you could undo anything, would you undo it? Here's how I feel about that. The person I am today would certainly never do what I did back then. Right. Absolutely. But. I don't believe in regrets Mm -hmm. because regrets don't change anything and they just take a lot of energy. Yeah. And I like who I am today. I like where I am today. And I wouldn't be this person today without having gone through what I went through. So I don't wish it out of my life. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have handled things better. Right. And made smarter decisions about making a change in my life. But that wasn't possible at the time, the person that I was. So, yeah. I mean, I accept it. That was my life. Yeah. That's my path. But I'm wondering about, you know, before all this happened, you were really go, go, go. I was. You packed your schedule Mm -hmm. to the brim. Mm -hmm. Was that that kind of like not wanting to face what was inside? It absolutely was. I realized that I kept myself so busy that at the end of the day, I was so exhausted that I couldn't think about how unhappy yeah, it's I a, was. Yeah, it's like a coping mechanism. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That constant busyness just consumed me and I couldn't, didn't have time for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It was the way I got through. Absolutely. Because if you had slowed down, you might have thought about divorce more yes. seriously or some. But instead of doing that, this very extreme option was mm-hmm. presented to you and yeah. somehow it seemed like an option. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seemed like. I knew that by doing this escape, that my life was going to change drastically. Yeah. And that's and what you I, needed, needed, ultimately. Yeah. Change, that I couldn't stop. Yeah. Because if I could talk myself out of that drastic change, I would have. Yeah. yeah. So this was something that I couldn't stop yeah. once it started. Yeah. And I think that deep down, I knew I'd get caught mm-hmm. and that I'd go to prison. I really think I knew that. But I never admitted it to myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not ever think that John and I would be on the run forever. Right. I never worked out in my head how it would stop. Right. But I didn't see it as being the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Because you wouldn't have wanted to leave your family permanently. No, I felt like I would be coming back home and I would see my sons again and my mom and dad. I always felt that. But I never thought about how that was going to happen. Yeah. This is a sensitive question, so if you don't Mm -hmm. want to answer it, like, we'll cut it. You and John were in love with each other while he was in prison, but you couldn't let anybody know that. So how... Oh, that's... Yeah. How would that... How did that work? You couldn't... Would assume you couldn't be affectionate with each other. That's right. You couldn't. You couldn't. And, um, you know, there were times, like, when I was 
checking a dog and he would reach down and pet the dog so he could touch my hand mm-hmm. you know things like that yeah. we would steal moments like right. that yeah but it was really an odd thing because I couldn't act any differently to him than I did to anyone else right yeah. and I certainly couldn't give him a hug right. or hold his hand yeah. or anything give him a kiss none of that yeah so it was it was a strange situation really yeah which just made it all the more emotionally driven to make this happen. Absolutely. Because, you know, you see this person every day and you know you're in love with them and you can't touch them. Yeah. And you just, you know, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger till it consumes you and you have to do something about it. Yeah. Were you ever alone together in the prison or were there always we, people There were around? moments that we could be alone for really brief times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you had... You had everyone's trust, right? Yes, yeah. I did. And, you know, I still feel so bad. The prison trusted me and the warden trusted mm-hmm. me. And I really liked the warden. And when I was getting ready to be released from prison, I wrote him a letter. And I said, you know, I am so sorry that I embarrassed you mm-hmm. and your prison. And mm-hmm. I know that I had your full trust and I took advantage of it. And I'm sorry about that. And he wrote back to me. I mean, I had a letter within three days wow. back from him. Mm-hmm. And he said... Similar to that marshal in the parking lot, I believed and I still believe that you are a good person Mm -hmm. and you have it in you to do good things in this world Mm -hmm. and don't let this act become who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I treasure that. I still have that letter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it means a lot. Oh, yeah. It means a real lot because I did feel bad that I kind of took advantage of that trust. That wasn't a very noble thing to do. Right. And I do regret that. So if I do regret anything, I guess I would say I regret I took advantage of their trust and I Mm -hmm. embarrassed the prison. Mm -hmm. But I can't undo it. No. No. And nor does it do you any good to dwell on that. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels like this would be one of those situations where it'd be so natural to feel so much shame, Mm -hmm. but it does you no good and you can't do any good in the world when you're consumed by shame. That's right. Shame doesn't do anybody any good. Mm -hmm. And um, I write about that. In fact, one of the chapters in my memoir is all about shame. Mm. But you can't let shame own you and you can't let guilt own you either. You just have to take responsibility for what you did and you need to hold your head high and you need to move forward. Yeah. Because that's the only way to make something good come of something that was dumb or something bad. Yeah. It really speaks to your character, how quickly you clutched onto that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm owning this. I'm not Mm -hmm. like, and Mm -hmm. because I know that's how Mm -hmm. I overcome this. Yeah. I knew it was the only way I could get through it Uh because if I didn't, then that would be who I was. Right. And if I even said it once, somehow I knew that even if just once I let somebody say John manipulated me, mm-hmm. I could never get out from under that. Right. Yeah. So from the very beginning, I mean, my attorneys wanted me to say that he manipulated me. Sure. The wardens at the jails oh, I was yeah. at wanted him to, me to say that. And I never would because yeah. that isn't true. Right. And in fact, when I was talking to the movie producers, I actually had four movie producers contact me mm-hmm. on the same day mm-hmm. and want to purchase some movie options. And one of them would have seemed like the best choice because he was associated with a big studio and they had money. His and name? He wanted to Steven do it. Spielberg. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> They wanted to get A-list, you know, actors sure, and yeah. do a big theater thing. And he said, and here's the story. 
John Maynard manipulated you and he used you. And I said, no, that's not the story. Well, then I learned that if I sell the movie options to someone, they can do whatever they want. They can make that the story. And so I decided to go with this independent producer Mm -hmm. that saw the story the same way I did. I think it's a better story yes. the real way it uh-huh. is. I wonder yeah. if he thought that by saying it that way to you, you'd be more likely to sign on. Like, oh, yeah, it wasn't all me. I didn't, I you know. know yeah. Maybe. Maybe he was thinking that, but he obviously hadn't yeah. done his research That's on you. Because yeah. you've been yeah. very forthright mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what happened. And, you know, I feel better working with a woman producer because women can relate. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, a guy, I mean, even Chris, my husband, sometimes he's like, how did you think that? Well, because, you know, that's how I think. Yeah. So there is a difference between men and women and how we perceive things. So I think it needed to be a woman producer. Yeah. Well, I'd watch the hell out of that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's going to be good. So, yeah. And the movie is actually going to be the script that we're working on is just going to be about the escape. Yeah. Capture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be about the rebuilding. Right, right, right. So, yeah. That's yeah, just boring. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> all those therapy sessions, yeah. all that yeah. personal <laughs> reflection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, except for the prison stories, which are kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything we haven't touched well, on? You know, here's the thing that I noticed. So I spent a lot of time, I spent 18 months inside the men's prison as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I was inside the men's prison at least five days a week at least six hours a day. Uh It was a lot of time. Yeah. So most volunteers don't do that. You know, they come in one hour a week and they meet in a classroom with an officer in the classroom. So I just broke all the, you know, the normal barriers of how things were run. And I spent time inside the women's prison in Kansas as an inmate. Right. In the men's prison, the most critical job, the only job in the prison that is on a 24-7 call. Mm Mm-hmm is the guy who runs the cable TV. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> because if the cable goes out at 2 in the morning, he better be in there within 30 minutes to fix it or there's going to be a riot. I was going to say, oh. yeah, it's how you keep them controlled. In oh. the women's prison, the same state, the same Department of Corrections, in the women's prison, there is no cable TV. Wow. There is no gymnasium. There's uh-huh. no exercise classes. There's nothing. Uh-huh. Nothing. Wow. Because the women take it. They yeah. don't stand up for themselves. You know, they mm-hmm. don't they don't demand peanut butter on the commissary. Right. Yeah. So that's a huge difference in the way and I was stunned. You know, I thought when I got to women's prison I knew what it was gonna be like. You know, there's gonna be cable T V and there's gonna be this and there was gonna yeah. be that. There was nothing. Uh-huh. Wow, what a difference that is. Mm-hmm. Same administration. Uh-huh. Yeah. You would think they'd be the same, but they're not. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about, and I thought you were going to say this, it was about the differences between a men's prison and a women's Mm -hmm. prison. And you were talking about how you decided to add the chapter about boundaries to your Mm -hmm. book. And you said something interesting. Do you want to, do you know? Yeah. So in the workbook, when I first put the workbook together, I thought it would be important to include a chapter on service, on how to help other people. And then I realized in talking with some of the people at the women's prison in Chillicothe and then talking with my husband, women are in prison for totally different reasons than men are. Mm -hmm. Men are in prison because 
they're standing up for themselves and they're demanding respect and they somebody did them wrong and they're trying to get revenge and men are in prison for violent reasons Mm -hmm. generally the women are in prison mostly because a guy asked them to do something and they did it Mm -hmm. so i decided that the women in prison don't really need to learn about service what they need to learn is how to say no and how to set boundaries Mm -hmm. and decide that if it's not the right thing to do, they're not going to do it. You know, wow. that they have the power to say no. So that's really what I've changed in the workbook. So now we talk about teaching them to set boundaries. And we also have a chapter on discernment so that they can decide that, you know, that's really not something that's going to benefit me. Yeah. That's not why he's asking me to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say no. Yeah. So there's a big difference between women in prison and men in prison. Yeah. Just the whole feel of the place. too. Yeah. I have a weird question. Okay. Ask it. <laughs> um, I might have a weird answer. Okay, you might. <laughs> Again, I'm thinking Dateline. I'm thinking true crimey mm-hmm. stuff. So you guys were going from Kansas to this cabin in Tennessee. I assume you didn't want to, like, print out directions from your computer because you assumed that somebody might mm-hmm. access that. How Did you have old school maps? How did you guys do it? So here's the funny thing. I knew what highways we were going to take until right. we got to a certain place. And then I brought my laptop along. Yeah. And John had told me, you know, don't name anything on your laptop a name that would make sense to someone because somebody got your laptop, they, you know, they'd see Mm -hmm. stuff. So he told me to name these files weird stuff. So the directions to the cabin that we were staying in, I named it something weird and I couldn't remember what I named it. Yeah. And so when we got to Tennessee, I couldn't find the directions. Oh, my gosh. And I said, John, just let me run into that diner and ask for directions to this lake. And he said, don't you understand, Toby? We just escaped from prison. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah, go yeah. in and ask for directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of funny. But I eventually did go in and ask for directions. You and did. we found the cabin. Yeah. But, yeah. And I never found that file on my computer. Oh, my gosh. You hid it too well. You I did a master so well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was weird, too, because there weren't smartphones then. Right. Yeah. You didn't ha- and so we did stop. Finally, we got lost so many times going different places that we stopped and bought a GPS. And that was mm-hmm. the night that we got right. caught. We yeah. had just bought a GPS, GPS. So we'd know where we were going. Yeah. But it didn't do any good because it didn't say on the GPS, don't run into this trap. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I do wonder if you had a smartphone now, if it would say roadblock ahead. It probably or would. Yeah. Traffic congestion yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it yeah. might. That's interesting. <laughs> I found a really interesting article. And so I've got all these articles on my Butterflies Unleashed website. Mm-hmm. But they were talking about how prisons are made for men. And no one ever considered women going to prison. So even the clothes oh. you wear are men's clothes. Mm-hmm. And they're cut in men's sure. shapes. And, sure. you know, it was just a really interesting yeah, what's article. The, uh, what's the underwear situation Crappy. in prison? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just big granny pants. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and like a two bra, pairs. With, a bra with no underwear? A sports bra. Oh, a sports bra. Um, okay. Because I'm like, they're not going to give you underwear. No, no, yeah. no. You get a sports bra. Yeah. The clothes are terrible. What about, you ever get like athlete's foot from that shower in there? No, I never did. You never did. But you know, you can have shower shoes, shower but shoes. you got to be able to buy them. And oh, there's yeah. so yeah. many women that right? can't yeah. afford to buy them. So here's the crazy thing about prison. The only way that you can call out of a prison mm-hmm. is to call collect uh-huh. or to call on a phone card. And it costs like $2 for 15 minutes. Wow. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
It's a racket. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's the only link that any of these people in prison have to their families yeah. to try to maintain a life. Mm-hmm. And these phone companies come in and they just gouge them. It just makes me sick. So yeah. maybe that's the next thing I'm going to try to change. Yeah. Get rid of those phone companies. Maybe start my own phone company. There you hey, go. I'll there charge you go. reasonable rates. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I assume the only way to get money in your commissary account is for someone to, from the outside to put it to in? To send it to you, yeah. Or do you have jobs in prison where you can well, earn a little bit of money? here's the difference. Okay. Again, it's men and women. The prisons I was in anyway, mm-hmm. there were very few jobs for the women. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't anything that you could do. And so you, were, you relied on people sending money in and putting money on your books. In the men's prison where I was a volunteer... You could have any job you wanted. I mean, there were jobs for everybody. There was more jobs than there were people to fill them. Again, because it keeps them occupied, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. And in the men's prison, there was 11 private industries mm-hmm. that were set up in there. And uh, one of the biggest ones, if you get a college, any kind of a college shirt with something embroidered on uh-huh. it, it came from the Lansing Correctional Facility. Wow. It's the only wow. place they make them. Yeah. My sister got me one for Christmas. Ooh. I'm going to look at that differently. <laughs> At least when I was volunteering there, they owned the NCAA licensing for licensing. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're paid below minimum wage. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Way, way below. Uh huh. Way yeah. below. So these companies wage. make tons of profit. Yeah. You know, and I think they should have to like hire so many felons mm-hmm. after yeah. they're released oh, yeah. in order yeah. to keep, you know, that contract in there. But everybody tries to take advantage of inmates as every way they can. How mm. about that for you? Has that been a challenge for you carrying around? Oh, yeah. the, I haven't had a job. The, yeah. Since I got out of prison. Yeah. Nobody would hire me. What about even just renting somewhere to live? Like, <laughs> Well, I didn't have a problem with that, uh-huh. actually. I don't know how they know. I guess they do some kind of criminal background. Mm-hmm. I think now it's been 14 years since I was sentenced. Yeah. This month. Wow. Yeah, it was February. Uh-huh. Huh. Wow, what's the date today? February 12th was the day of the escape. Oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. Like, oh, my gosh. That's like coming up. Yes. Like, wow. Yes. So it's been 14 years since the escape. And I think when they do a general background check for renting something, that it falls off after five yeah. or six okay. or seven years. Yeah. Was that so. a specific plan? Did you guys want to be together for Valentine's Day? No. It just worked out. Just worked out that way. Yeah, just worked out that way. But yeah, we were together for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, you're such a romantic. You wouldn't think of that. (laughs) That was the bonus. Right. That was a funny thing that they worked because... We knew that people who usually helped him with adoptions weren't going to be able to come that day. And there was a different officer on duty that day. And yeah. it was, the weather was supposed to be bad. And yeah. my husband was working at the fire station and would be gone for 24 hours. And yeah, yeah, there was just, just a lot all of the, things, all the things that lined up together. for that day. Yeah. yeah. I like you a lot. I think you're so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I remember being so nervous to meet you the first time. Isn't that funny? I was so nervous. And I don't know what I thought, Uh you know, what I thought was going to happen. Did you think she was going to shove you in a dog crate? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, what what was going to happen? But like our little group, I remember you left and I stayed behind with Kitty, our other group member. Mm -hmm. And she's like, so what do you think? And I was like, I really like her. I really <laughs> liked her. So I don't know. Were you feeling nervous? Today? I was. I was very nervous. But my nerves came from the fact that you guys already know each other. Oh, yes. and I didn't know uh-huh. you. So yeah, I was yeah. worried about that dynamic. But I yeah. 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 I can see that. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm, I'm wondering if I've got any more weird questions. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just so fascinated by the planning. Yeah. Yeah. That goes and, into something like that. 
you know, it was kind of fun. It was like a game. Like, yeah, oh, it's, a, it's like a project. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I was into it. I was, oh, a, yeah, I was a project planner. It's yeah, spread, you know, yes. I was like, hey, yeah, the, this is dependent on that, and this, you know, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah, it all came together. Man, at the same time, it's also with this specific set of circumstances. It's also a puzzle. How do I make it all work together? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, I could get behind that. I know. <laughs> so, fun fact about Brandy. Brandy's obsessed with puzzles. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. Now, she wouldn't dye her hair. No. But she loves a puzzle game. That's right. No, but it's true. I mean, you're smart and you're accomplished. And so you set your mind to this thing. Mm-hmm. John sounds like he was smart, too, and yeah. had a totally different skill set. Yep. At your sentencing, they had an expert come and talk, and I can't remember anything about it but it was something like this it was the warden the warden from the prison the one that i wrote to and apologized to they called him as a witness okay at my sentencing and he said that his hobby was researching prison escapes Mm -hmm. and you know he's read about all of them Mm -hmm. and he said in his mind this one had to be in the top five of the last century wow prison escapes so that was kind of a and there had been I, I think a few years ago there was another one yeah right? joyce mitchell and yes. actually i believe she got released from prison yesterday oh really <gasps> yes. wow yes wow yes. how did you feel toward her when you heard i that felt story? so bad for her yeah. i felt so sorry for her and i knew that the media was going to crucify her yeah. and make her out in the worst light they possibly could mm-hmm. and they did and uh, I have felt sorry for her. I've written to her a couple of times. I never did get a reply. Uh-huh. But yeah. I knew it was going to be tough for her. Yeah. yeah. So she, if memory serves, and I haven't looked at her case in a long, long time, didn't she help two? Is this uh-huh. the two Danamora? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two men escaped. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she did. And I knew. You know, when I saw that on the news, I thought, oh, gosh, now I'll be back in the news. And I was. That's yeah. when I did the Anderson Cooper interview yeah. and the Brooke Baldwin and the Inside Edition. And, right. And so, you know, I talked to Chris and I said, what should I do? They're going to start calling. And he said, well, talk to them. You mm-hmm. know, you, you need to talk to them. And at the time, this was kind of funny, but let me get to this other part. So the minister at our church, our pastor, he said to me after I did a couple of those interviews, mm-hmm. he said, Toby, you made Joyce Mitchell a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said, I never saw her as a human until I heard your interview. And he said, that was a great thing that you did. But this was so funny. So I had a web design business and 90% of my clients were Amish. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to come to this training in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm for this system that they all needed to use because they can't use the internet. So I was going to have to look stuff up for them right. in this system. So they want, they paid for me to come to this training. They were all there too. Mm-hmm. And that was the weekend of Joyce Mitchell's story breaking. Wow. And that was the weekend I did the Anderson Cooper interview and the Brooke Baldwin interview. Uh-huh. And I did them from Lincoln, Nebraska uh-huh. remotely. Yeah. And I said to these Amish people, you know, I have to leave. I need to go to a meeting, but I'll be back in an hour and a half. And I went over to the local TV station to do this interview. interview, And I came back to the hotel where the meeting was, and they were all sitting in the lobby watching the TV. And I was on the screen. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they just loved it, yeah. you know, and I yeah. thought, there goes my business. You know, these Amish people aren't going to want to have anything to do with a woman who's been in prison. Yeah. But they loved it. You oh. know, they were just so excited about it. Yeah. Wow. So I thought that was funny because yeah. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. Not the reaction that yeah. you would have expected. No. Yeah. This could be another personal one that we just mm-hmm. cut. But I remember being struck when we would talk about your story that obviously there were a ton of people who, you know, claimed, oh, can't relate to this at all. Don't understand mm-hmm. it. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. But you had women write to you and oh, say yeah. that they totally mm-hmm. understood. I had women write to me while I was in prison, women that I didn't know. Uh-huh. And they said, oh, my God, I know exactly what you were thinking. That could have been me. Yeah. And I don't think... I mean, my story culminated in a different act than many women's stories, but it's no different than almost every woman's story out there who's unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everyone has something that breaks them at a certain point and they do something stupid, whether it's driving home and having too much to drink or, you know, just doing something that they regret that was a dumb decision. So I just think that my method of taking an action is totally different than everybody else's but it's right. not the story's no different yeah really. this has been awesome this, yeah, yeah this has i've been enjoyed so it too thank you for you're sitting welcome. down with us. you're welcome do you want to give people your website and yeah. stuff like yeah so the website for my story and mm-hmm. my book is just tobydoor.com and that's t-o-b-y d-o-r-r 102 Mm -hmm, mm rs.com and the website for the workbook for the women in prison is butterfliesunleashed.com and we're going to be putting a program on the butterflies unleashed website in the next week or two so that women out there in the community can sponsor the program for a woman in prison because the women in prison don't have any money to be able to you know sign up for a program so we're going to make that available just like you'd sponsor a dog yeah you know in a foreign yeah, country I think that's or something you can sponsor a woman in prison yeah so That'll be on the website. Yeah. On that note, let's wrap up. We're not going to do our traditional outro because it would be kind of silly. Our source for this episode is Toby. It's Toby, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Live and in person. That's That's right. I didn't bring my dog crate. Although I did have a friend give me a big black wire dog crate. And so I use it when I go to do speeches and I just set it on the stage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. That would be very effective. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Do you have a speaking event coming up that you I want don't. to plug? Okay, okay I don't. Then, but then I'm we'll looking for this. them. So okay. if anybody's yeah. interested, you know. Yeah. yeah. How do they get in contact with you? Well, the best way is to just go to my website. Okay. Or they can email me at tobydoor at gmail.com. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing yeah. this. This You're has welcome. been amazing. It's been fun. I wasn't yeah. sure what to expect, but it was fun. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> We're a couple of goofballs. So. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you for joining us for this episode. And thank you for all of your support. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We are on Reddit. We're on Patreon. And then please like and subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. <laughs> but also like Also it, like it. Just shout out loud that you like the podcast. You know, when you're just, it, the more people you're around, the better. <laughs> and then please leave us a rating. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And then be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.